Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 313th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're uh, broadcasting this week from our temporary studio, studio on the Calais Goya, which is the main shopping street in Madrid, Spain. I'm in Spain to give a couple of presentations on disrupting, disruption and future-proofing your business to a group here in Madrid and one next week in Barcelona. So I've got some great news for the planet. Airlines are beginning to fly using biofuel. Globally, a raft of carriers, including Qantas, Cathay Pacific, United, Southwest, JetBlue, Lufthansa and others, have signed deals to purchase alternative jet fuels. And the Secretariat of the International Civil Aviation Organization has proposed ambitious new targets for biofuel use in aircraft. And uh, the push for Sustainable aviation fuel has received a fillip this week with Qantas poised to announce it will power its Los Angeles-based aircraft with biofuel from 2020. Qantas announced that uh, it's buying from SG Preston for use in aircraft operating from Los Angeles to Australia. Qantas is going to buy 8 million gallons of renewable fuel each year in and an aim to uh, reduce carbon emissions and becoming more fuel efficient. And this comes after Qantas in 2012 ran uh, trials with a biofuel that combined cooking oil (laughs) with conventional jet fuel. God, I'm not sure how keen I'd be on flying across the world with cooking oil, but they didn't crash, so I guess maybe it works. The commercial biofuel deal will enable Qantas to lock in supply for the LA-based aircraft where they have large fuel demand and where the biofuel industry is more advanced. Biofuel uses plant oils and it emits half the carbon emissions over its life cycle than traditional jet fuels. It'll be a 50-50 mix of fuel produced from plant oils with traditional jet fuel. Hmm. <laughs> 41,000 fleet, what are we flying on? Oh, we're flying on plant oil. Oh, okay then. I feel much better now. God. Qantas said it's working with the federal governments and state governments on the design of policies to support commercialisation of a- aviation biofuels in Australia. And uh, it's obviously going to play a growing role in airline in allowing airlines to reduce emission in coming decades. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It just takes 30 seconds to subscribe. And every day, we tackle the different subjects. We talk about advances in medicine to new apps to new technology, subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain. It's a way to keep yourself right up to date with what's happening on this planet. The newsletter is totally free and the information's invaluable. I must admit, it's a pain in the ass to write. It takes me two days a week to write the five new- daily newsletters. However, 
it's gratifying um, to get everybody's feedback. It was interesting, I wrote last week about um, the new wearable clothing from um, uh, Levi's and Google where you can, depending on what motions you make on the sleeve of your jacket, <coughs> excuse me, it does different things. Um, it just connects into your phone and then operates whatever you want it to operate just by either rubbing or touching or tapping twice or whatever. And one of the letters I got during the week said, um, that's all very well. I think a, um, a really smart jacket is a great idea, but um, can you get it cleaned? <laughs> well, I went straight to Google and Google came back and said, yes, it's cleanable. So now you know. So if you don't get my newsletter, go to um, bobpritchard.com and just enroll. You'll get it within a couple of days. Hyperloop 1, we've talked often on this program about Hyperloop, and, um, you know, it's a supersonic train that will do 1,000 miles an hour, and it's getting closer and closer to fruition every day. Well, Hyperloop 1 is now Virgin Hyperloop 1 after Richard Branson got involved with a pretty heavy investment. And uh, Branson's one of the world's most recognisable billionaire industrialists, and uh, that should really spur it along. He's investing in the super-fast transport system and will be joining Hyperloop One's board of directors. And uh, the Hyperloop, you know, can move people and freight through vacuum tubes at near supersonic speed. And uh, the Hyperloop was first popularised by Musk, who envisioned travelling from LA to San Francisco in about 20 minutes. And uh, Hyperloop One is a full-scale test track in the Nevada desert. And now with Branson as a major stakeholder, the company's likely to ramp its aggressive pursuit of government approvals to break ground on the first operational system. Now, we've spoken about this before, but I wanted to touch on it again, and I'll, I'll do it quickly. Personal branding is becoming increasingly important. Um, we all know about um, companies branding and all sorts of organisations branding themselves, but today it's more and more important for individuals to establish a personal brand. In my line of work, my personal brand's critical to my success, so we actively cultivate the Bob Pritchard brand. And according to an AVG study, 92% of children under the age of two already have a digital footprint. In fact, due to our exposure through digital media, almost everyone has the basis of their personal brand. So now you can cultivate it and fashion it to provide a powerful force for your future. So you can take control of it or you can allow it to form haphazardly, essentially by others, and possibly fuck up your life. So it's up to you. But firstly, you need to think of yourself as a brand. And the most critical thing is when people think of your brand, what do they associate with you? I mean, if, I often think if people think of Bob Pritchard, what do they associate with that? And I hope that they associate some sort of expertise in business. And uh, so is there a certain subject matter in which you want to be perceived as an expert? Or 
what do you want linked to your brand? What are the qualities that you want linked to your brand? And once you understand how you wish your brand to be perceived, you can be much more strategic about your personal branding. And um, trust me, a, a, per- a strong personal brand can bring you tremendous ROI. And it doesn't matter whether you're leading an organisation or whether you're working with one. If you've got a strong brand, it permeates through the organisation. Secondly, audit your online presence. You can't mould perception without first understanding your current status. So Google yourself. Have a good look. See what it is that the web's saying about you. And if you've got a fairly common name, then considering using your middle initial or something to differentiate yourself. A really talented friend of ours in the uh, music business just added an adjective to it, if to a name. She was Rachel Kane, and now she's screaming Rachel Kane, and that carries a lot more weight, and a lot more people will remember it. Thirdly, secure a personal website. You've got to have a personal website. I don't care whether you're an employee or whether you run a business. Have a personal website. Have your resume linked to your social platforms, bios, etc. It is really important. Fourthly. Find ways to produce value for your clients. Don't just post utterly mundane or ridiculous crap. You know, a photograph of this is what I had for dinner. Find ways to add value to your audience by creating or curating content that's in line with your brand. Fifth, be purposeful in what you share. Every tweet you send, every status update you make, every picture you share, all contribute to the personal brand. So if you make them count, Don't put up the frivolous crap that makes you look like an idiot. Sixth, associate with other strong brands. The more strong brands that you can associate with, the stronger yours are. And start with the three Cs. Company you're working with, college, the college you went to, prestige, and colleagues. Who are your colleagues? Um, Is there an alumni newsletter you can contribute to? Um, what hidden opportunities are available? Seventh, reinvent. A strong personal band is dependent on a strong narrative. In other words, what's your story? Take a second to think of celebrities you know who have got a strong personal brand. Say, Mark Cuban or Martha Stewart or Richard Branson. They've all got a very clear story which is cultivated Finally, and most importantly, remember that a strong personal brand should be ubiquitous and ever-evolving. Now, my guest today is Nolan Bushnell. Now, Nolan's an American engineer and an entrepreneur who founded Atari, and he's regarded as the father of gaming. He's been inducted into the Video Game Hall of Fame and was named one of Newsweek. 50 Men Who Changed America. Nolan's a good guy. He's a friend of mine. And I'll be back with him after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show coming to you this week from Madrid, Spain on the Voice America Business Network. And we're being heard right around the world.
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the most interesting business people. We try to find out what it is that makes them tick. Now, today's guest is someone who has truly been in the midst of great innovation, surrounded by extraordinary people, and really pushes the envelope. When you look up the definition of entrepreneur, you find the name Nolan Bushnell, and Nolan's today's guest. Nolan's an American engineer and entrepreneur who founded Atari, Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Time Theatres. He's regarded as the father of gaming has been inducted into the Video Game Hall of Fame and the Consumer Electronics Association Hall of Fame, received the BAFTA Fellowship and was named one of Newsweek's 50 Men Who Changed America. Now, that's not bad. That's not bad for a full resume, but it's really only just a start. Nolan started more than 20 companies as one of the founding fathers of the video game industry. His latest venture... It's an educational software company called Brain Rush, and I think this is incredible. I've, I've long said on this program that the education system in this country, and in fact most first world countries, does not address um, the needs of the community. It's outdated, it, and it simply doesn't work anymore. And uh, Brain Rush is using video game technology in educational software, incorporating real brain science in a way that Nolan thinks will change education fundamentally. Oh, I probably I might have left out that Nolan was also the guy who discovered Steve Jobs, gave him his first gig, and was a mentor to Steve right up to his passing. Now, one of the great business blunders of all time, in my view, but maybe not in Nolan's, Nolan passed up a one-third interest in Apple. Jeez, that's like me passing up Claudia Schiffer. I mean, (laughs) Nolan's also a fellow member of Metal in Los Angeles, which I talk about frequently. Hi, Nolan. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. It's great to be here. Uh, You know, it's always fun, but, uh, you know, whenever I hear my bio, I I try to remember people that you, remind people that you can't 
live your life looking in the rearview mirror. True. There's good things and there's bad things, and you just can't dwell on it. you got to focus on what you're doing now, and that's the most important thing. Although, we've, I think, want to be um, remiss if we didn't question your sanity. Um, Steve Jobs was your friend. You had tremendous respect for his ability and his focus and his drive, and yet you turned down a third interest in Apple. Now, why the hell would anybody do that? Steve was an unfinished product, and I've often felt that... Uh, Aren't we all? Exactly. But, but you know, he, he was not a chief executive at that point in time. Yeah. And the guy that invested instead of me was a guy named uh, Mike Markla. Yeah. And I've often felt that he is the unsung hero of Apple because he was the first president and he instituted the discipline and he actually tamed Steve Jobs and turned him into an executive Yeah, from the way he, you know, teaching him how to bathe and take care of himself and dress and walk and talk. And, uh, and I wouldn't have had the time to do that. So I think the outcome may have been very different had I just put money in without the blood, sweat and tears that Mike Markla did. Yeah, um, was it was it a good thing turning Jobs into a uh, an executive, or would he been better and more creative left to run rampant? I don't know. You know, it's um, it's often debated whether or not um, the real thing that formed Steve Jobs was, in fact. Uh, his being booted out of Apple, starting Next. Yep. Next was floundering at the time it was acquired by Apple. Yep. And that when he came back, he really did the pivotal um, industry, the, the ideas that really put Apple to where it is today. Sure. Before that, he had a very checkered career. The Lisa was a failure. The Macintosh early on was a failure. Um and um, and I think that uh, that he got seasoned with a failure, uh, and I think failure often is very instructive to people, particularly people who are uh, very driven, um, very creative, and um, I think it teaches a little bit of I don't know if I'd call it humility, but at least uh, a greater level of common sense. Yeah, and, he, and his social skills certainly were lacking. <laughs> well, you know, I actually disagree. I think that Steve had an ability to turn it on and turn it off when appropriate. Right. For example, I never saw the bad Steve Jobs that's been portrayed in the movies or, uh, you know, even uh, alluded to in a lot of the biographies. My wife, I can remember after a dinner party one time saying, geez, Nolan, why can't you be more like Steve? <laughs> so, <laughs> but that, so, that might be more of a comment on <laughs> your yeah. social skills than his. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay you, you graduated from the University of Utah College of Engineering, had a degree in electrical engineering. So what do you do through high school and, and college? But you work in an amusement park. Now... I probably can't talk, but when I was at university, if I told my mother that I was going to 
work in a penny arcade rather than a number of other opportunities that I probably had, um, I would have either faced excommunication from the family or at a, min- at a minimum faced incessant what I did, I actually, while I was at university, I went into the rock and roll business. I was an entertainer for years, so I can't, I can't sling off here. But what was it in the 60s that had you focus on gaming when at best it was sort of periphery entertainment, um, arcades were seen as sort of pretty crummy places to be? It hardly seemed like a thriving long-term employment goal. What, what made you so attracted to it it was actually inadvertence um i've been i'd been an entrepreneur literally from the age of eight mm-hmm. um and i had a company that was called the campus company that uh sold advertising uh to a calendar that i gave away to the university's students at the beginning of each quarter or, right. or semester Yep. And I was making a lot of money. I was driving a 190SL Mercedes sports car at the time and putting myself through college. And I was making a lot of money. But I also had an ability to spend a lot of money. <laughs> and so I felt that a good thing to do would be get, to get a fun night job at the amusement park. Not because I was pursuing a career. It's just I was keeping myself out of harm's way for myself. Because uh, if I was working, I wouldn't be spending. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I found that I had a knack for it. And uh, and I was good on the midway, and they turned me into a manager. And this was really beneficial because as a manager, all of a sudden I was managing, you know, percentages and uh, labor, you know, managing labor, training. I had 150 kids working for me uh, on the midway. And I had two big arcades that uh, I was managing. So I understood the economics of yeah. the coin-operated game business. And, and that was, it was inadvertence. And then mm. saw the game at the university and put the two together. And knew there was a business there if I could get the cost right. Right. Well, the, I guess the advantage that all gave you is the major reason that most startups fail is not because the idea isn't good or the person doesn't have drive or whatever it's usually because they don't have the management skills to do all the other things that are essential in in making a business successful so what you probably gave yourself that background um, rather than learning it as an MBA but you learn it in the school of hard knocks exactly and I've often felt that my boss was better than any professor at a university, you know, and, and, but, you know, at the university, you didn't get yelled at, but my boss would yell at me very often. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Okay. The, um, the current business environment, it's encouraging and unprecedented number of people to become entrepreneurs every kid you speak to wants to be an entrepreneur and while it has great sort of emotional appeal and it's got that sort of sexy feel about it it's probably the most difficult path that most people can take on it's bloody hard work being an entrepreneur it's even harder work to be successful now you've been involved in all these startups and you're known at metal everybody talks about nolan as being always prepared to assist young entrepreneurs, always being there. So what's the most important piece of advice 
that you can give somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur but is sort of starting out? I think that the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make, would-be entrepreneurs, is they think they're going to go into the big leagues without playing any sandlot ball. Yeah. And, and I tell them, start your company right now. Don't look for investment. Figure out something that you can do tomorrow that is your company and you're the only employee. And get some experience, just dealing with the public, dealing with bringing a, a concept to market, and uh, and and don't let don't let anything get in your way. So many kids today think step one raise capital. No, step one is train yourself. Step one is be an entrepreneur, and don't let the inability to get funding stop you. A lot of these kids actually are scared to death of actually having their their idea tested. Sure. And so they sabotage themselves and just as long as they're pursuing their entrepreneurial goal, they're happy. Yeah, they're feeling good about themselves. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so um, by forcing them to remove the obstacle of funding, they have to sort of face their fears, if you would. Yeah. I mean, it does seem funny that, but people people are afraid of of um, success for a whole bunch of reasons. And a lot of entrepreneurs you you speak to are afraid that as soon as they become successful, somebody's going to come in and steal their business. You know, and, <laughs> and knowing a lot of VCs, they're not that far wrong. Um, you know, in fact, you know, if you've got a good project, um, the world's a very big place. And you're always going to get competition. Sure. And, you know, there's also parallel development. People, you hear it all the time. Oh, that, those guys stole my idea. No, yeah. they didn't. You yeah. didn't get off your ass and do something. Yeah. Could, couldn't <laughs> agree more. Don't you think that um, big ideas, though, generally require some level of, of capital? I mean, a lot of people have an idea where they make a widget that's going to replace something that's going to make life easy, and that that's great. But if somebody's got a big idea, if you're an Elon Musk, how do you, how do you succeed without capital? Well, that's it's actually the wrong question. Okay. The the idea is why why do you think that you can raise capital when you have no track record? Sure. I mean, I wouldn't invest in somebody if it was their first first go at it. I'd I'd want to know what their body of work is, their sizzle reel, if you would. Yeah, yeah. And and so you know, raising big capital for Elon is pretty good because he's got a pretty good portfolio of, of past accomplishments. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> you know, and so, um, and you know, there's nothing wrong with being part of a startup team. Um, you know, the first three to five people uh, following an entrepreneur that has a good portfolio behind them yeah. and learn from them. Um, you know, just getting out of college and starting a company that's big doesn't make sense. It, it, and in fact, it, it usually it usually fails before it gets started. You just don't get, get funding. Yeah. Um, when I was back in the day when I had a big staff before I got smart, 
Um, when I was employing people, I used to take them for a walk around the block. And my favorite questions were things like, what's your favorite movie? And if they said Freddy Friday the 13th, they'd be out of there. Because <laughs> I, as I always worked on looking for personality. You can always train a monkey but if the monkey's got a rotten personality you're stuck with that monkey um so i was always looking for personality matches not solely educational requirements but in your book finding the next steve jobs you say that when you look when you're looking to hire someone one of your techniques is to ask peculiar weird and from what i've seen usually totally unanswerable things so what is the response going to tell you when you ask weird questions and secondly how important do you think a great personality fit is depends on what the the job is you've got to have a good personality if you're in marketing sales that's a fact um, less so if it's online sales um, but at the same time the essence of business is selling yeah. selling ideas selling concepts selling your co-workers um, but the main ingredient that I think is I like to try to understand what someone's mental process is. Right. And uh, I don't care what the answer is. I like the steps with which they attack the problem. And more than that, that feeds into the most important, which I think is passion. If people, sure. and, and I like to say, don't hire dead people. <laughs> yeah. You know? They have, they have no life, and they're in a box. You want to find live people. And I hate to say this, but two-thirds of the population right now that have graduated from college are already dead, and they just don't know it. <laughs> and, and they're dead from the neck up. And they're very happy to sort of turn the crank and fit in and follow a recipe I don't want that. I want people who are pushing the envelope, who are thinking, who, who because of their passion, anything they don't know, they'll train themselves. On the web yeah. today, you can train yourself at anything much faster than you can in college. Of course, the last thing you want in any business is a disruptive personality or someone who's got a personality that doesn't fit because if you haven't got a harmonious team, most of the time it spreads like a cancer and you end up on your ass. I actually disagree. <laughs> I believe that... <laughs> you can disagree with me all you like. I, I fight with all sorts of people, mainly wives, but apart from that. Here's, here's, here's the difference. Um, there are some people who are bristly. Steve Jobs is bristly. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, but if you wanted a certain problem solved, he could solve it. And sometimes the smartest person in the room who's constantly telling you they're the smartest person in the room, that's obnoxious. Yeah. But when the chips are down, you want the smartest person in the room. And so I have this attitude that I can always put someone where they're a little bit obnoxious I can mitigate that by putting them in a different building, putting them in the basement, putting you know, <laughs> having them on the night shift, um, and and um, I want the best people for the job, and I I'm very well. Let me just say that 
I don't like people who are offended. Yeah. I, I just say grow up, you know, the, the stuff that's going on in college campuses now and political correctness and all that, you're, you're creating a bunch of babies. And, and, you know, I, right now, one of the things that I try to do is if people take offense at everything, that's a red flag. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And yeah, just, you know, I want grown-ups. <laughs> I want strong, <laughs> tough, you know, people who who have a thick skin. And we'll go, yeah, we'll go to the mat so, for what they believe. Exactly. Yeah. So, you've had careers in several areas, gaming, kids entertainment, restaurants, etc., but all, all essentially using gaming to create customer interaction and involvement. And well, not all. You know, I did the first automobile navigation system, ETAC. Right. That was totally utilitarian. First shopping system. Um, and while there was user interface constructs that may be considered similar to gaming, yeah, uh, they really weren't games. They were they were functionalities. Okay. So your excursion into education through Brain Rush, it appears to hold. Um, a special appeal to you from what I've read um, and I've and what I've heard at um, at metal what um, why is brain rush so important to you well I have I have eight children so I've been to back to stool night and sat on the little desks I have five sons um, who are I guess the best I could describe them as they're disruptive students yeah and they're all really smart and they just bristled at the environment that they had to deal with in school and um, and it and we were a very very teaching household we, we we talked about a lot of things from history to philosophy and and uh, and they, and, and as a result, they very often would come back and say, "I got a seat in this class, and I know more than the teacher." Yep. And and uh, you know, I I unfortunately I think I teach intellectual arrogance with my kids too, <laughs> but for good or bad or ill. Yeah, that's good. Yep. But anyway, um, but for example, my youngest son started his company the day he graduated from high school. Right. And we fought for two years to keep him in high school because he felt that he was wasting his time. Yeah. And he now has a company that will do a couple of million dollars this year and, you know, employs seven people and uh, is doing very nicely um, and is a tremendous programmer. Um, and I, uh, you know, my... Uh, my second oldest son just did a Kickstarter, raised one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on a product that he designed, um, and he had exactly three quarters of college. Yeah, you know, and, and so you know, it's a um, it's a thing where I think that school right now is so dysfunctional on so many levels. I mean, we've reinvented uh, indentured servitude. Yeah. Okay. And uh, graduating with a with a college degree, 
and owing a hundred thousand dollars, I think is is madness. Ah, uh, it's ridiculous. Lunacy. And it's lunacy, and I just feel like today um, you can learn so much faster. And and you know, with based on the brain science, we can teach almost any subject ten times faster than a classroom. Uh, at essentially zero incremental cost. I mean, we we charge something, but it's not very much. And I just think that uh, that we have to rethink the whole thing. I I think it's ridiculous that we have such a bloated system of both on college and high school that we can't be twice as effective at half the half the expenditure. Yeah. And um, and I. I just yelled out at the top of my lungs, and it's not necessarily, you know, if it's, and it's just not me. I've got, you know, there's all kinds of really great software systems out there. It's just that today's school, high school and college, are so entrenched in the metrics of 100 years ago, they don't realize, they haven't figured out that the Internet exists, really. Yeah, yeah. And the so whole thing needs to be retooled. Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a great um, believer that the education system is is really failing. But is it failing? Is it failing everybody? I, I, my main beef's been with people who are creative, where it sort of belts the hell out of your creativity and tells you that you know you shouldn't do any of those things. They're things you should do as a periphery. Don't be a musician. Go and learn STEM subjects, and if you want to be a musician, do that later, or you want to be a great artist. So I think it really fails the arts. Um, how badly does it fail um, STEM subjects? Pretty badly, um, just because it's inefficient. Um, the STEM subjects are harder uh, in general yeah. uh, because of the methodology. They don't need to be that hard. Um, the best way to teach STEM, particularly physics and math, is are projects. And, uh, and I think that... Uh, if you look at today's high school, they don't even have, you know, auto shop anymore. Yep. And that, I believe, is a, is a cruel truncation. Um, how, many, how many high schools require you to do a YouTube video in order to graduate? None. Um, how many English classes require you to publish a short story on Kindle singles? None. All of these things should be part of the arsenal of tools kids graduate from high school with, let alone college. Sure. Is it a failure of... Is it a failure of the system or... Well, it's obviously a failure of the system. Is it? Is it because um, they just haven't caught up with or haven't kept up with technology and with new techniques? Or is it because they try to level the playing field for every student? Both. It's really, it's really a combination of both. And it's also a, a problem of credentialing. Um, you know, in order to um, really succeed, um, a lot of people feel that you have to have credentials. They're still, you know, working for the government, working for certain things. You need a credential. 
Yeah. And so what that does is that's the gatekeeper for a whole series of jobs. And uh, it's just wrong. It, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I would no more care about what the grades of a, of a potential employee is coming to me than fly to the moon. I don't even ask if they've graduated from college. The, the guy who did the primary architecture for the Atari 2600 was a, was a high school dropout. Yeah. You've only got to look at the list of, of billionaires in the world to see how many have completed college. Exactly. Jobs is one of them. Yeah. Okay. I, I had dinner with my son last night, and um, he was uh, going, when he finished college, he was going to head to a, um, a startup or something akin to that. And it was um, Tim Draper who said to him, look, before you go and do that, go and work for one of the big guys for a couple of years, which he did. Uh, and I had dinner with him last night and he said, um, he's putting in close to 100 hours a week. He's 24, 25, putting in close to 100 hours a week at one of the big two. And uh, how critical is it to get a work-life balance and how do you do that i mean you've got eight kids so you've obviously got some level of work-life balance um how, how, do, how do you balance that how do you have a life and become an entrepreneur at the same time it takes maturity a little bit i don't i don't pretend to say that i didn't have some uh some real uh problems with that let me yeah sorry about that no problem um i can't say that i was always home when i should be did i miss a lot of soccer games and swim meets yeah, yeah. uh but i tried very hard to be there when i was there and uh, you know spend one-on-one -on -one time with uh with my kids every Sunday morning. Everybody knew whose turn it was to go to breakfast with dad. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that uh, as you get a little more successful, you understand that you don't have to give it so much. Early on, at 24, I, I can honestly say I didn't know how hard I had to work, but I knew that if I worked as hard as I could, that would be enough. And 100-hour weeks were very normal for me, yeah. very normal. And, and I think that uh, it's so much better than a lot of kids who have this, this extended adolescence into their 30s. And they don't do that. They yeah. balance it way on the other side. Um, and uh, I think that, that you have to grow up uh, and uh, kids don't feel, you know, I was married at 22 and that's too young, Yep. but it does give you a sense of responsibility and, and, uh, and maturity that I think you can't get if you are, you know, 30 and still going to Tinder every night. Yeah. Don't feel so bad because back in those days, everybody got married at 22. You know, it was a with a whole different whole different era. So how's the rollout of Brainwash going? How are you rolling it out, and what sort of response are you getting from traditional educators? Horribly. Um, 
it's been the hardest that company that I've ever dealt with. Uh, the marketplace is 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 toxic and resistant to change. They all give platitudes, but when it comes to change, they're resistant. The network infrastructure in today's high school is so bad that if you want to do something really good using the internet, uh, there's maybe a computer lab that works, but to integrate it into a random history or, or mathematics class, nobody home. Yeah. It's, um, it is a colossal disappointment. So, and I guess they're all protecting their ass too, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Do you know there's, there are a lot of high school teachers that don't have an email address? I mean, yeah, that, believe yeah. that? Uh, yeah, I'd believe it. I believe it. I think there are a few people, you know, the the Zuckerbergs of this world seem to be trying hard to um, to change the education, at least the attitude to education and technology, but it's a hard road, isn't it? Well, throwing money, a toxic system will chew up every bit of money that they have without change. Yeah. Throwing money at a problem just makes it worse. It, it entrenches the bad habits even more. You have to be disruptive and you have to show that you can educate better and that you can spend less money. You know, there's all kinds of private schools that just throw money and they have six kids in a classroom and all that. And, and the funny part about it is that they don't necessarily perform that much better than the regular schools. In order to really deal with today's problems and today's issues, the whole school experience has to be re retooled. Um, a data point. Homeschoolers, kids who have never been to a high school, never been to a junior high school, are in demand by colleges because it turns out that they perform better than kids who've gone through the reg regular paradigm. Hmm. So what, um, where do you see Brain Rush going in the, in the foreseeable future? We're doing a slight pivot and we're going to be continuing to, to, you know, bat our heads against the wall. Uh, but we're doing more in corporate training where there are people that want efficiency. The business world wants efficiency. They want to train their people better they want to train their people cheaper and right. we fit right into that on a quick frivolous note um jobs and bushnell seem to be popping up on big screens and small screens all over the place at the moment um who'd be the ideal actor to portray nolan bushnell somebody tall thin piercing blue eyes <laughs> <laughs> well you know, there's there's a there's a script of uh, the first years of Atari, sort of focusing on me, floating around. Um, DiCaprio optioned it, and and now there's a couple of other people flopping around. The development time on movies is actually surprisingly long. Yes, yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, and I've often thought, you know, if either the Jobs movies does really well in the box office, mine will be green lighted. Right. Since they haven't, I I I. I think it's going to be a little while. Okay. <laughs> Nolan, 
thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Uh, if you'd like to know more about Nolan, simply Google Nolan Bushnell and you'll get 450,000 results. So there's a whole wealth of information there. And if you want to know more about the um, exciting educational tool, Brain Rush, which it, I think there's got to be a wholesale change to education, it sucks. Go to brainrush.com. That's brainrush.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking absolutely no bullshit business radio show and we're on the voice america business channel we are also very proud to be the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs and this week we're broadcasting from madrid in spain i'm over here giving a couple of speeches one this week in madrid and one next week in barcelona and uh gives me a bit of time off in the middle while i'm not worrying about clients back home so uh, next week, I'll be speaking with you from Barcelona. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I worked on the importance of customer service with the Australian Leisure and Hospitality Group in Australia. I um, was over in Australia giving speeches, and one of the one of the clients was um, ALH. They operate three hundred and twenty eight licensed venues in Australia. They've got food and beverage and slot machines and entertainment. It's a bit like um, 328 small Vegas casinos. And uh, you know, it makes you realise just how critical customer service is, not only in your food service, but also with beverage and slot machines and entertainment. How can you make that a seamless, um, painless experience for customer for your clients and get them to go out and walk leave the place saying wow that was fantastic um and i've got a bit of a contribution from my friend john Scholl, who's the president and founder of service quality institute and they're the global leader in um, customer service and so i've taken some of his information now there are a variety of core skills or steps that are necessary to become a customer service leader. So you take these seven skills and implement them into your customer service practices. You know, one of the interesting things is that PricewaterhouseCoopers did a study and found that over 50% of the contribution to return on investment of any business is through customer service. Most people think it's through their product or um, through advertising, but it's not. It's through customer service. Also, the rate of growth, somewhere near 42 or 43% of your rate of growth comes from your quality of customer service. It's all, it also helps you from a financial point of view because 
great customer service, gives you great word of mouth. Great word of mouth doesn't cost anything. Where if you're advertising, you're spending dollars and you know, we know that most people don't trust advertising. But if some if your friend says to you, geez, I went down the whatever club yesterday, had a fantastic time, the meal was terrific, the service was great, then you know, people will go. So let's look at the seven skills. First one, if you're a business, just eliminate any dumb rules. You can have a lot of really great people but dumb policies and, uh, you know, you get yourself into trouble. Most firms use IVR to avoid talking to customers and any firm with more than 100 employees should have a 24-7 live call centre, and even with just a few staff, if you get a handful of staff, um, then the phone should be answered in one to two rings by a live person. I hate that. Your call is important to us. Hang on the line. And you hang on for the rest of your natural life. It really pisses customers off. So make it easy to do business with them. Make it easy to do business with you. Have hours that are convenient to the customer. You know, it doesn't cost you much to put on a live uh, receptionist, even if it's remote, that can answer the phone live, even 24 hours a day. Secondly, you've got to master empowerment. You know, so many, in most businesses, so many crazy things happen every day. And employees have got to be empowered to make fast decisions on the spot to make a customer happy. You know, I could count on two hands the number of times I see employees making empowered decisions. So you've got to really empower your staff. Speed. Very few employees and organisations understand or practice speed. If you have a look at Amazon or Uber, or Apple, they all have awesome speed. Most small companies have no speed. And the mindset of employees, therefore, is slow. So companies have policies that they reinforce slowly. You've got to get it snappy. You know, you've got to have, you want people to answer problems now. They want results now. Remember, remember the customer. Your name is magic. You know, few employees remember you or use your name. Even when you pay the bill or credit card or or check and it's got your name written all over it, they still don't use your name. And that is really stupid. You need to train everyone on customer service and you need to do it regularly. You need to you need a new reinforcement training program every four months. It's got to be fresh and it's got to be new. Too many firms think there's a magic program you can dip your employees in and for the rest of their lives they'll remember everything. You've really got to train them. And you've got to have a service strategy. Service quality is not selling customer service programs. Focus on helping your organisation rapidly grow their business through your service strategy. Make sure that it's really good and strong. Keep training. That's the key. And 
give your employees credit for being smart and being able to solve customers' problems. Now, this shows all about entrepreneurs, and the most recent entrepreneur study is some great news for the U.S. economy. As we know, the U.S. economy is booming, and along with it, startup growth is healthy and it has been for years. We know that small business employs the highest percentage of people, and at a time of incredible, unbelievable technological disruption, it's these startups that are going to drive the economy of the future. This year... Entrepreneurship grew in 34 of the 40 metro areas that were measured, which is the largest increase in the last decade on a national scale. Now, this means that more new companies are cropping up nationwide and they're popping up everywhere, not just in the big cities. If this trend continues, entrepreneurship growth could soon be back, way back to pre-recession levels. Now, remember... If you're not living on the edge, you're just taking up too much space. If you don't believe that somebody can do something or that something's possible, get out of the way and let those who are doing it get past you. You know, it's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anybody can do the ordinary. You don't want to be just anybody. You don't want to be just ordinary. You want to remembered for, be remembered for actually doing something. You know, it's better to aim for the stars and miss than aim for the gutter and succeed. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing not being normal can be. You know, there's some incredible people in this world, and they're the fun ones to know. And I'm sure you're one of them. You've just got to let go and become one. Now, I hope you can have a sensational week. And I hope you join me again next Tuesday when I will again be broadcasting from Spain, this time from Barcelona. And remember, continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.